The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. More information about the church is available at www.gracefcwesterville.org. Well, this morning's message is going to be relatively short because I want to focus in on one key aspect. As I told you, last week and this week were really part one and part two of, uh, of this message, uh, and I kind of keyed it into going into 2015. And if you recall last week, we looked at a tremendous promise that God had given to us. In verse 12, he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I go to the Father. And if you recall last week, we looked at this whole thing about greater works. How on earth could we ever do greater works than Jesus? And so we looked at the difference between miracles versus people coming to Christ. And, you know, the natural human mind thinks of great works as miracles. You know, making the blind see, causing the lame to walk. I mean, these are tremendous things. But I think where we came to last week is putting in perspective just what is really great. A a sight being given to a blind man is wonderful. A person who can't walk, being able to get up and walk is a wonderful thing. But when the person dies, it's over. The great work is when someone comes to an eternal relationship with Christ. And when Jesus Christ was here on earth, he walked in a small region of this world. And and at the time of his death, there was probably 500 or so disciples and and maybe some other ones in the the, uh, surrounding countryside. But when he went and sat at the right hand of the Father to make intercession for us and then sent his Holy Spirit to indwell us, we now take that message through the whole world. And these are the greater works that he was referring to. Now we come to a very unique portion because right after telling us the great works, we come this morning to verse 13 and 14. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, if you could just stop right there, half of you would be going, yeah, but I pray and nothing happens. The other half would be going, yeah, let's go. Unbelievable, exciting, right? Just depends on where your perspective is. But the promise was given to the disciples as one uh, one part of Jesus' attempt to comfort them in view of his coming departure. He was going to be taken from them, so he promises first that his going will not mean the end of his work on earth, verse 12. And second, that it will not mean the end of the communication that they've enjoyed, as verses 13 and 14 says. He will be in heaven and they will be on earth, but prayer will remove all sense of distance and be the key for for their ongoing promise of the great things that they're going to do. So there's comfort in the verse for sure. But it's not comfort that's the main joy here. What is most striking in the scope of the promise is that Jesus will hear their prayers and grant their request. And that promise is just as real to you and I today as it was to them. So let's break this down and let's look first of all at praying in my name. There, there are certain conditions, obviously, that need to be met. Now you go, okay, here we go. Right? I, I knew there was a catch. What does it mean to ask something in Jesus' name? 
Well, it means several things. First, obviously, it means that you have to have a relationship with Christ. You have to have accepted him as your savior. His spirit must indwell in your heart. You must walk with Jesus and have that relationship. And, and this is critical because we have to understand that prayer is the communication between God and his children. Now, there are two ways that this is made clear here. One is in the word you. It refers to the disciples whom Jesus is speaking. So it is for those who are followers of Christ as believers. And number two, the phrase, anyone who has faith in me, which stated in the previous verse, this phrase limits it to Christians. So if you've trusted Christ, you have faith in Christ, you can ask what you want, and I'll do it. Now, the real heart of the matter. Let's, let's look at the real heart of the matter here. Because one major key in praying in the name of Jesus is that one approaching God is approaching him on no other basis than what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. That's key in understanding what it means to pray in Jesus' name. Here is where we find ourselves in trouble because we oftentimes will pray on the basis of some claim that we think we have, okay? R.A. Torrey illustrates this in a very unique way. He tells a story when he was uh, preaching down in Melbourne, Australia, that one evening as he was walking into the platform, a note was thrust into his hand. And he read the note and it said, Dr. Torrey, I am in great perplexity. I have been praying for something for a long time, and I am confident that it is according to God's will, but I do not get it. I have been a member of the church for 30 years. I have headed up the Sunday school program for 23 years, and I've been an elder for 20 years. And yet God doesn't answer my prayer, and I cannot understand it. Can you explain this to me? Now, if I stop right there, you're probably all going, oh, yeah, I've been there. I, I know right where you're headed. Well, Tori took the note up into the platform, and he read it publicly. Tori then explained that the answer was obvious. Listen to this. Quote, This man thinks that because he has been a consistent church member for 30 years and a faithful worker, that God is under obligation to answer his prayer. Therefore, he is really praying in his own name. Now think about that. We must, if we would have God's answer to our prayers, give up any claim on God. There's not one of us who deserves anything from God. But Jesus Christ has claims on God, and we would go to God in our prayers, not on the grounds of any goodness in ourselves, but on the basis of the claims that Jesus Christ has with God. So many make the same mistake today. We feel that because of, of our church attendance or some ministry involved in that, I should be able to go to God and, and get these, these answers. Now, only the Lord Jesus Christ has claims with God. So to pray in the name of Jesus is therefore first to come to God as a Christian, having placed your faith in the work of Jesus Christ on Calvary, but secondly, to come humbly recognizing that we have no claims upon him, but Jesus himself does, and that we can approach God solely on the basis of Jesus Christ. Now, so often we pray without any thought of what we're praying for. Uh, if 
my prayer was answered, how would it affect me and how would it affect those around me? Praying in Jesus' name is not some mantra or magical statement that you tack to the end of your prayers. You are praying for something with full assurance that it's exactly what Jesus would ask the Father for. So in order to pray in Jesus' name, there is careful thought that should go into it. To pray in the name of Jesus Christ is a serious matter not to be taken lightly. To ask for anything without regard of our Lord because we would please ourselves instead of him. That's really where we are. We pray because we want to consume it upon ourselves. So we say, Heavenly Father, my request is in line with your Son, and in, in, in coming to you, I come on the basis of what he would want. And folks, that takes time to come to. You can't just jump into a prayer and expect to have your heart and mind right. Sometimes it takes careful meditation to consider the whole matter. And when I can go to the Father and say, God, I come with this request in the name of Jesus, I am saying that I am fully persuaded in my heart that this is what I should be praying for. Now, granted, there are those times when we're not sure where God is leading, but that's the joy of that relationship. Because as we come in his name, God works in our heart to give us the idea and the heart and the concept that he wants us to have. And when we work with the spirit, the spirit that the Father says is given to you to bear witness to lead us and guide us, that whole concept brings us to a clear understanding of what we should be praying for. So praying in Jesus' name is literally praying on the basis of knowing that what I am asking for is in accordance with Jesus Christ. But there's another aspect to this here, and it has to do with God glorified. So we've looked at the phrase in my name and have found it to mean basically three things, okay? One, that we must be a Christian. Prayer is a family matter, praying to the Father. It has to do with adoption. When you accept Christ as personal Savior, you are adopted into his family. And now, just like a natural-born child, you can come to your parents and ask for your needs to be met. And that's the relationship we have to have. Number two, that we must approach God on the basis of Christ's merit and not our own. And number three, that we must pray as Christ would pray while living a Christ-centered life. But now there's a second phrase that's critical here. In our text, it says that the Son may bring glory, or may uh, bring, excuse me, that the Son may bring glory to the Father. Now, This is very important because having said that our prayers must be consistent with the desires of our Lord, we immediately go on to ask, and what is it that the Lord Jesus Christ desires? And he says it very simply in our text. The answer is clear, that God might be glorified. So the application is that if this was Jesus' desire then it obviously should be our desire. So who takes the time to get down and analyze the request and know that when you pray, 
you're praying in Jesus' name. Because this will bring glory to the Father. I think if we're honest, a lot of times when we pray for things, if we stop and consider what we're praying for, it starts to run through our mind. Well, if I did get this answer, how would this really affect me tomorrow? And how would it affect people around me? Because we never know where God is directing us and where he takes us. So this is a new thought for many people. For we are so filled with the idea that prayer is coming to get something from God that we rarely consider that prayer actually is a means by which God gets something from us. What he wants from us is glory, a glory that will lead others to trust him. So my coming to God in prayer and laying that request before him, one of the key goals is that is that, God, I know that by getting answered, this will bring honor and glory to you. And that's my ultimate goal goal in prayer. Think about that for a moment. So often we pray in a panic. You know, something's gone wrong. God, where are you? Boy, we just go crazy. But did you ever stop and think that when you're coming in prayer, you're actually having a means to glorify God through that prayer? Now, if you were to evaluate your prayer life right now, how would you characterize it? My needs or God's glory? Let me give you an illustration that that might bring it home a little clearer. Ralph Kuyper uh, was a preacher and a theologian for many years ago. He was a very successful preacher, but he really struggled with very poor eyesight. Uh, What you and I could see at 100 feet, he could barely see at 10. And, And there were many times in his life when he got very frustrated with this, and he would go to God, and he would say, God, why do I have to have this limitation? You could take care of it. I mean, you could do something like th- about this if you wanted to, Lord. And he, w- he would go back and forth and back and forth. And, and then he found himself trying to live a perfect life to justify God blessing him. But then one time, uh, as he was studying for one of his classes and going through a series of scriptures, he began to reflect and the Holy Spirit began to impress upon his heart. He said, what is the chief end of man? And, and Ralph replied, well, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Do you wish to glorify God? He felt the Holy Spirit impressing. Of course, he said quickly. Then he thought, if you had the choice to glorify God or to have perfect vision, which would you choose? Ralph paused for quite some time. He, he says in his writings that he sat there kind of numb. And he began to think through this whole thing for, as he points out, sight is a very precious commodity, especially for someone who doesn't have it. And he had to be honest because he knew the Holy Spirit knew his heart. And as he began to analyze and think it through, the struggle within him began to be very difficult, very bitter. But Ralph was a victim of grace. He said, there's no only one answer. He said, and the choice is to glorify God. Ralph finally concluded, my vision or my lack of it is not worthy to be compared to the glory of God. And if I can bring glory to God with poor eyesight, then let it be. You see, we go through life so often just 
wanting the good stuff. And, and I get it. That's part of our human nature. But did you ever stop and think that where you are might be part of God's plan, a bigger picture that God can use to touch someone's life that you don't even see? So the whole point in prayer is to know that as I pray, my heart is to glorify Jesus Christ, whatever that might be. If it's to be in much, great. Remember the Apostle Paul made it clear. He says, I've learned to be content in much or with little. And he goes on to talk about all the things he suffered. And he also talks about his own thorn in the flesh, that he prayed three times that God would remove it. God didn't do it. But God got the glory. And that's what's so important for you and I to really grasp and understand what he's doing. The method that God chooses for us is not the important thing. What's important is that we are ready to glorify him at any turn, no matter how it affects him. The goal of prayer is not the fulfilling of our own requests. It is the glorification of God. Remember that while Jesus was here on earth, his whole purpose was to glorify God. In fact, in John chapter 17 and verse 4, in that tremendous prayer where, where Jesus is praying to the Father, he says in verse 4, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Now, he didn't do this in a glorious fashion. I mean, he was a traveling preacher. He had no place to lay his head, had no riches, had no fancy clothes or chariots to take him around in his traveling. He was misunderstood. He was ridiculed. His own disciples abandoned him in his most critical hour. And then he was arrested, falsely accused, and murdered. But his, but his statement in chapter 17, verse 4, again, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Now, if you will just consider that for a moment. If the whole focus of your life is to glorify Jesus Christ, how would that change your prayers? If the absolute focus of your prayer is to bring glory to God, how much less would you pray for yourself and more for him to bring glory to him? You see, if we go back to John chapter 14 and verse 12, Jesus said to you and I, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to my father what are you praying for what does your life revolve around what do you really want in 2015 when sorrows come to the world they panic it has, it has no answer in the face of disappointment, no hope in death, but we have the hope of glory. And as we move into 2015 individually and corporately as a church, if we move in with an eye singled unto God's glory, that he is first in all that we do, and that my prayer life now becomes a way of seeking his glory, God will work in a mighty way. I'm convinced of that. The most important thing is that the work 
he has given to you and I will be accomplished. And would you and I be able to utter at the end of our lives, as Jesus did, God, I have done the work you gave me to do. I have brought glory to you. Just allow those thoughts to sift in your heart as we move into 2015. And let's begin right now to look at this new year with, a, with an eye single to God's glory. The year when I gave my claims on my life over to him. The year when my whole focus was to bring glory to Jesus Christ. If we can do that together, folks, the sky's the limit. Because we can pray in his name, we can glorify him in our prayers, and we have the very sincere promise from God himself that in that mode, anything you ask, I'll do it for you. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now just so moved by the reality of what you've told us. We often think of prayer as just a way to help us. Sometimes it's a way to bail us out. Sometimes it's a way to just take away pain. Sometimes it's a way to just look for comfort. And all these things are right and proper. and We don't minimize them. But God, the ultimate point is that each one of us seek to glorify your name. And that is something that's sadly missing in the world today. That the children of God are most known by the glory they bring to Christ. And Lord, as we move into this new year, having known that we have been given a promise by your son to do greater works than he did, and that we've also been given the promise that you, we can come to you to gain the wherewithal to accomplish those works. May we move into this year with great power and great faith and great excitement about what you're going to do because I am surrendering my life. We'll give you the praise in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you.